You're listening to The Jay Barker Show on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. We're here, Lars and Matt. It is football week. It is Monday. Nick Saban will be approaching the podium The challenges of the season. But I think the biggest challenge for, you know, our team is to create an identity for this team, to prove that you can be a dangerous team, to prove that you have the energy, focus, and enthusiasm, not just to win a game, but to beat the other team. And there is a difference in that. And I think that difference, you know, primarily is the way you compete, the way you you play, the relentless competitive attitude that you have for 60 minutes in a game to play to a standard, your standard not let the scoreboard or anything else determine what your performance level is. And, you know, that's something that I think this team has to prove, you know, that it can do, you know, middle Tennessee is, um, you know, they won eight games last year. They beat a top 25 team in Miami. Um, they won a bowl game against San Diego state. You know, Rick Stockstill has been there for a long time. He's done a really good job. They got a great offensive scheme in terms of how they do things and problems that they create. Uh, so it's going to be challenging from our players from that standpoint. They're a very aggressive defensive team, a lot of stunts, a lot of blitzes, a lot of negative plays. So it's a very challenging preparation for our offensive team. And they're sound and solid and do a great job on special teams. So this is a a, a challenging team for us to play. But again, you know, we're concerned about how do we establish an identity for our team in terms of how we compete and how we play regardless of, you know, who we might play. I know that, um, you know, your number one focus is not on the game. Uh, It's on the depth chart. And look, there's a lot of competition on the team. uh, And when we put a depth chart out, you all think that's like final. Like this is like etched in stone that it's going to be this way forevermore. Uh, Just because we come out of fall camp and that's where it is. But creates a lot of distractions on our team, creates a lot of, um, you know, guys thinking that, well, this guy won the job now and I'm not going to play or whatever. And quite frankly, you know, we don't need that. Uh, and I want all of our players to continue to compete, to can continue to compete for playing time, uh, to try to play at the highest level. And I don't want anybody on our team to think they're a backup player or whatever. Um, and you know, the depth chart kind of does that. I think most of the players on our team know who should start in the game and who shouldn't start. Um, but that's something that they do day to day in terms of the way they compete and the way they play. And nobody's entitled to play and just cause we put it on a piece of paper and say, this is the way it is today. So I apologize for that. Um, but it is what it is. What kind of progress did you see from the guys that are competing at the safety position in the preseason? Yeah, well, you know, Caleb's done a really good job. I know he's a young player, but he's done a really good job. He's smart. He's bright. He understands football very well. Um, you know, Jalen Key has done a really good job. He's got a lot of experience, even though he hadn't played here. He's played other places in a very similar system. So, you know, those two guys have done a good job. Malachi can play, you know, safety or star. So, um, you know, Smitty's been out with a, with his foot for, for a while. Uh, and we certainly think that he would be in the mix if, if he were healthy. 
Uh, Christian Story is, you know, a dependable guy at the position, so that's kind of where it's at right now. Matt? Uh, MTSU has one of the better secondaries in their league. What are the challenges of going against that group? Well, I, I think they, they play really well. They get a lot of turnovers, um, but they create a lot of pressure. Um, they're a pressure defense, and they put a lot of pressure on their secondary. And their corners have played very well, whether they play off or man-to-man in press. Uh, their safeties are very aggressive and make a lot of plays. Uh, so uh, I think there's a little bit of big little that goes with this team. If you look at the statistics of the way they played, um, they make a lot of plays on defense and when it comes to negative plays that they create, turnovers that they get, but they've also given up plays. And I think you got to have lots of patience. You got to have a good plan in terms of trying to minimize how much they can create negative plays, but also maximize taking advantage of making some explosive plays. Several offensive linemen have discussed wanting to play a more dominant physical brand of football this season. Uh, how have you seen that transpire? How would you evaluate how that's been through fall camp and preseason? Well, I would say that's up to them. They want to be a dominant physical. That's part of the identity that we're trying to create and want to create at every position, not just in the offensive line. So, um, and to be able to be able to have balance on offense, you got to be able to control the line of scrimmage and get movement up front and play physical. But it's the same thing in the passing game. You got to be able to protect the quarterback and, um, so you can make plays in the passing game. So. We always want to be physical. We always want to be dominant. We want to be that on the defensive line. We want to be that on the offensive line. And style of play can determine that to some degree. And But having balance and being able to do both those things, I think, is the most critical factor. You referenced the Middle Tennessee State game against Miami last year. That was a game where they showed an ability to hit on explosive plays um, in the past game. What type of challenges does that present to your secondary, and how do you go about counteracting that? Yeah, well, I think the multiples of formations that they give you, whether it's empty, four open, wide outs, all, all kinds of things, you know, are going to put guys, you know, at some point in time, you got to play guys man-to-man. So, um, and you guys got to win. You can't give up explosive plays. Um so I also think you got to mix it up. And, you know, sometimes when people spread you out, you got to play maximum coverage. Sometimes you got to play maximum pressure. Uh, but whatever, you have to be able to execute so that you're not giving up explosive plays. I mean, that's turnovers, explosive play ratio. Those are the two most critical factors in winning and losing games. Um, so, I think you got to be patient. These guys are going to go no huddle. They'll go fast at times. Players got to be able to get lined up and execute and not let that affect their rhythm and how they play. Um, and they did make a lot of explosive plays against Miami last year. And that's something that, you know, we're always trying to take away. And that's going to be a challenge for our guys in the back end. But it's also when you give up explosive plays, it's usually all 11 guys. You know, sometimes you lose pass rush lanes, quarterback scrambles, throws a big one, whatever. So uh, everybody's got to do their job to eliminate the other team's ability to make explosive plays. Front left with Chase. How much of being a good blitzer is instincts, anticipation, just having a good feel for it? And, and what did you think about the way the defense executed blitz calls and practice this month? 
you know, we've done a pretty good job with the pressures, you know, so far. But, you know, containing the quarterback, not not necessarily thinking just because you pressure, you want to sack the quarterback. Because the worst thing that can happen when you pressure is somebody gets pushed by. If you get pushed by the quarterback, you're playing with 10 guys. So you ask me how much of it is instinctive and how much of it is, I don't care what position you play. At some point in time, instincts take over, just like defensive back. Okay, the ball's coming. I can intercept it. I can swat and hook it. I can break down and tackle the guy. It all depends on how fast the ball is getting there and what your position is. So how much is that coaching and how much is that instinct? So if I'm pass rushing and I try to speed rush a guy and he soft sets me and pushes me by, how much of that is ability and how much of that is lack of instincts? Guy soft set, you should bull rush him. You should power rush him. Don't get pushed by the quarterback. Not the time to try to make a sack. When do you use your hands? When do you use what pass rush move? It's like a wrestler. When do you use what move? It's the same thing when you're playing defensive line or offensive line. You're using your hands. you got body position. You get a guy off balance one way. How are you going to push him back the other way? So we try to teach guys all those things. But when it comes to fastball application, it's no different than the baseball analogy that I use. I use it with the players all the time. I say, you just swung in a pitch over your head. Everybody understands. It's like, what are you doing? You watch baseball, don't you? I see these guys in major leagues do it. The ball's four feet outside, slider, swinging at it. Look bad doing it. Bigger high. Yeah, looks worse. <laughs> right in the back. Coach, this isn't your first opening day with Alabama, but every year seems to be exciting for the fans. There's been a few years we'll be in Atlanta to start or Orlando. What does it mean to be here in Tuscaloosa? And what's your message to the fans about coming out to this game against Middle Tennessee? Well, we are, you know, we've always had great fan support, um, regardless of where we played. Uh, there's always been great enthusiasm. I think our fans are a big part of the team. Uh, the atmosphere that they create, you know, during games is, you know, something that's part of the tradition around here that makes guys want to play here, whether they're recruits coming to see the games or whether they're players on the field. So, uh, it's always important. And this game is important to us. Um, uh, it's important for, you know, this team to create an identity and the fans can have a significant impact on that with their energy and enthusiasm. Nick Alvarez. What does JC Latham mean, not only to the offensive line, but just the stability, bringing his leadership and his expertise to the team? Yeah, JC's played really well. He's shown a lot of maturity. He's become a, a, a leader of sorts of the offensive line. Uh, he's a physical guy, he plays a lot of toughness. Um, you know, we've tried to eliminate you know, penalties and being able to stay focused on doing the right things with the offensive line and with JC. And he's done a pretty good job of taking those challenges and uh, trying to implement them in a way that's going to be a, a positive thing for our team. So what sort of progress have you seen from Jalen Milrow since he played last year? I think Jalen has made a significant amount of improvement. I think he's more comfortable in the pocket. I think that, um, you know, he has more confidence uh, in the way he executes and the way he plays. Uh, he's been more consistent in the, in the way he's played. And 
And I think that's, you know, going to be the key of the drill for him to be able to maintain that consistency in every practice uh, so that he is developing the kind of habits that are going to carry over in the game and help him be successful. And Cam, what type of growth did you see from Jamarian Latham up front? Um, He's done a really good job. You know, he's been hurt a little bit on and off since he's been here. He's gotten a little bigger. He's gotten a little stronger. And, um, you know, he's a very good athlete. Uh, I think he's more confident in terms of learning the defense, making less mental errors. I think it's important to him. Uh, I think he's showing a lot of maturity in the way he's developed and progressed. So uh, I think he's a guy that can make a significant contribution for us up front. Given the situation at quarterback, do you enter this game expecting to use multiple quarterbacks or is there a game plan just drawn up for whoever's the starter? Uh, I don't have any expectations for that right now. I mean, you know, we're going one day at a time and, um, you know, we're repping the players and even regardless of what happens in this game, it's the same thing that I told you guys before. Just because whoever starts in the first game, that doesn't mean that you don't have to continue to compete and play throughout the season because the competition doesn't end with the first game at any position, including quarterback. So, um, you know, my expectation is, is what can we do to get them better today uh, so that we can play better the next day and the next day. And then when the game comes, we'll be playing as well as we can. We need to be playing to create value for themselves as players, as well as uh, our team to be able to have success. All right. Thank you. There you have it. Nick Saban. It's a Monday leading into the Blue Raiders of Middle Tennessee State. Pretty standard stuff, Lars. Uh, he sounded like he was in Monday news conference mode. How you been and did you have a good weekend? Had a great weekend. Um, I thought a few things were surprising about the press conference, but uh, let's uh, let's get into that on the other side. I'm, I'm perplexed by one thing in particular. All right. I've got a couple of comments on it as well, and uh, we will come back with Big Noon Sports in just a moment. Lars Anderson, Matt Coulter, I swear, I think it might have rained a little bit. I don't know if it did in y'all's neck of the woods, but I don't know that it's cooled it off much at all because it's still steamy hot, but it is game week on Big Noon Sports. Presented by Haley Sansing, Union Home Mortgage. Calling 100.9 Tuscaloosa weather. A mix of sun and clouds this afternoon, scattered showers and strong storms around through tonight. The high today, 89. Tonight's low, 72. Or tomorrow, occasionally cloudy with a few passing showers or thunderstorms. The high, 87. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 91 degrees in Tuscaloosa. The best sports talk in Alabama. This is Big Noon Sports. Middle Tennessee State University. Saving chatted a bit about them and brought up some really good points about how good they were last year. Um, 
This is not a, a bottom of the barrel, what you would call a cupcake. They're a pretty good football team. Now, can they march into Bryant-Denny Stadium Saturday evening and knock off uh, fourth-ranked Alabama? Fourth or third, I guess it depends on which poll you're looking at. But uh, I think most are four. Uh, I, do, I don't think that's likely, but I think they're a good opening test for Alabama. As uh, far as the quarterback situation is concerned, the depth chart, pretty much mum. Pretty much the sat status quo answers that he's been given, and quite simply, it says uh, no matter who starts in game one, the competition will continue from there. I expect to see all three quarterbacks, and then they'll move from there. And Texas, uh, I think you could see a, another couple of quarterbacks there as well. But anyway, Lars, you heard something that caught your ear. What was it? It took 12 minutes into the press conference to ask about the one question that or asked the one question that every Alabama fan and every college football fan has. And that is uh, for uh, Nick to comment on the quarterback situation. And I know, like, I get it. He's not necessarily going to tell you who his starter is going to be because uh, uh, bucking tradition, Alabama is not releasing a depth chart before game day to open the 2023 season. And this comes after uh, um, Coach Saban was uh, a little uh, peeved uh, last season, to put it lightly, uh, by the excessive focus on the depth chart. And you remember uh, after the season opener, Nick Saban said, this may be the last time you ever get a depth chart. Um, and he commented on that at the beginning. But nonetheless, uh, I was surprised that it, it took our buddy Mike Rodak, again, 12 minutes into the press conference, just to bring up the name of Jalen Milroe. And, um, you know, I get it. I, I understand when you're in the room, it's... it's uh, it can be intimidating and, and uh, to ask Coach Saban a question that you know that is going to uh, uh, raise his ire. But nonetheless, it's your job. Do you well, agree? Well, that's what fans want to know. And it's the one breakdown that um, I, I have a, a little bit of a problem with with Saban is that uh, the media isn't asking because they want to go home and talk about it with their family. They're asking because they want to distribute the information to the fans. Um, and to start your news conference by saying you don't care about the game, I'm a little annoyed by that, but I'm so used to it that I'm, I'm not even going to speak, address it very much today. But um, he's not going to release a depth chart. You know, it's not alone. Evidently, Hugh Freeze is not a big fan of depth charts either, either and one was released with the Auburn game notes. And I don't know that he was necessarily upset that it was released. I think he just kind of acted very benign about it as if he had never even seen it. But uh, what's the deal? What, what's so, I mean, I know he explained that he didn't like it because players would see the competition and then maybe they're not going to play. But really? Uh, I mean, they're there in practice every day. Um, I don't understand it, but I have enough respect for Nick Saban to say, okay, if that's the way he's going to handle it, yeah, that's the way he's going to handle it. And then as a member of the media, that's the way we've got to handle it, too. It's not, not I, anything I mean, to jump up I, and down all afternoon about. I, I, I get it, but it, it's not like you're you know, guarding the nuclear code here, right? The codes. Like it's This isn't a big state secret. Like It's not that big of a deal to say the first snap of the game will be taken by Jalen Milroe which we all believe is going to be the case. But I, I, 
Is there a an advantage for Alabama not to name their starting quarterback before they kick off against Middle Tennessee State? I, mean, I, I don't know. I doubt it. I mean, Alabama's going to throttle Middle Tennessee State. We all know that. Um, I, I, but look, I, I do think Middle Tennessee State, they're um, a, certainly a capable program. I'm, I'm familiar with their coach, uh, Rick Stocksill, and he's done a really good job there over the years. Um, but, um, you know, you look at Alabama and season openers and you know what? They're pretty good. Uh, last year, they beat a, a solid Utah State team, 55 nil. Uh, beat uh, beat uh, Miami uh, in 2021, 44-13. And, um, you know, uh, the, the last time I think Alabama started out a season with a win by less than double digits was against Hawaii in 2006. Mm-hmm. And that was 25-17. Um, but regardless, uh, it, it's... I, I get it. Nick Saban is annoyed by uh, the quarterback question. Um, and who knows? I mean, there may be a surprise in store for us, in store for us, uh, given the fact that who has been the quarterback who's created the most buzz at camp? That it would be Dylan Lonergan, true freshman. He was there in the spring. And, uh, you know, I don't, he's not going to be the starter on Saturday, I wouldn't think. But you know what? If there's not a long... If, if, if Nick Saban thinks that Lonergan gives him the best chance, he's going to start Lonergan. And um, now, will Alabama start the same quarterback against Middle Tennessee State on September 2nd as they do a week later, Brian Denny against Texas? Maybe, maybe not. I mean, I... I I understand that there is uh, some, there is value in not necessarily, you know, just uh, anointing your starter uh, before game one. But in, in this case, it, it's really not that big of a deal. But who knows? I mean, maybe it's still to be determined, even throughout all fall camp. Maybe th- that there's still debates inside. And gosh, I mean, you, you talk to people and uh, it seems like the majority think that is Jalen Milrow. And then we thought that there was separation between there was Jalen Milrow was sort of one a Ty Simpson, one B and then Tyler Buckner was further down the line. And now I, I, I'm hearing that, you know, Buckner may get a lot of reps uh, and that Simpson could be the odd man out against Middle Tennessee. You just don't know. But what we do know is that Nick Saban, he sort of, he hasn't directly told us what the identity of the Alabama offense is going to be, but he has invoked the name of Greg McElroy several times and so what was McElroy I mean much more of a game manager than a playmaker at the position so if he wants a Greg McElroy type of quarterback then Jalen Milrow is going to be your guy because of the uh, fact that they're going to lean on the offensive line they're going to lean on the defense 
and uh, you want a quarterback who has experience, and Milrow has more experience than the other guys, and also you want a quarterback who can make plays with his feet. And clearly, of the four now, and I do think we need to mention Dylan Lonergan in the conversation just as much as the other three, but of the four, who can make the most plays with their feet? And that's Milrow. By far. It's by far. And I think that that along with uh, kind of the uncertainty of being able to switch back to power football and trying to keep it between the tackles. Um, That and the fact that he's had more snaps, and he's had more snaps. I don't know if we emphasize this. He's had more snaps, not in just game conditions, but in big-time game conditions. He he took some very valuable snaps last year and, and helped win football games. So I think that, coupled with a couple of other things, You'll see Jalen Milrow, Milrow take the first snap against uh, Middle Tennessee State University. But to repeat what Nick just said 10 minutes ago, that doesn't mean he's going to take the first one against uh, Texas um, exactly a week later. So that's the situation. Did you, did you catch an overall disposition with Nick, as we often talk about? Um, not really. I mean, I, I think uh, as the season approaches, um, the, uh, the, 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 the smiling Nick Saban, so to speak, that we've seen at different press conferences where he seems to be in a really good mood and, you know, everybody across the country is like, uh-oh, this means that Alabama is just about ready to, you know, kick the living snot out of everybody this year because Nick Saban loves his team. Uh, I mean, really, it's amazing the overreaction that one little picture from a press conference of Nick Saban reacting to a joke by a reporter or joking around with a reporter can elicit. But um, no, I, I to me it's just uh, it's 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 game week. It's go time. He's ready. I mean, and and the intensity level ratchets up, and and you know what? It doesn't. I should say it starts with the coach, starts with the head coach. And there is a sense of sort of urgency in everything he's doing. Is that what you detected as well, Matt? Yeah, I, I just I thought it was a, kind of the same old game week, Monday news conference, Nick Saban, that uh, we've heard. What is this going on in 16 years now? Yeah, we're oh, getting, getting 17? Uh, I have to sit here and count them. I should know that. Uh, yeah, I thought he was, like you said, he's very much business as usual. Got, I, I think maybe Testy's a little bit too steep, but I think he got a little bit aggravated. But that's what he does. We'll be back with more Big Noon Sports in a moment. Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. Hey, this is Reagan, owner of r Cigars, the cigar 
Mansion in downtown Tuscaloosa, located at 2703 6th Street across from the Home Two Suites. Come down to r and and see why we're the ultimate cigar and bourbon experience. With over 165 bourbons and five private barrels, our selection of bourbon is unmatched. We have the best cocktails around and our cigar selection is legendary. Our lounge and service are world-class. Come and experience the luxury of the mansion and see why it's a world-renowned cigar and spirits destination. Weekday mornings at 6 a.m., the Martin Houston Show. Join us tomorrow as we bring on D.C. with D.C. Capstone Report. We'll get his thoughts on the players of the week, the top offensive, defensive, and special team players, as well as the breakout players and top newcomers for Alabama versus Middle Tennessee. Catch the Martin Houston Show from 6 to 7 weekday mornings on Tide 100.9. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Presented by Haley Sansing, Union Home Mortgage. I didn't want to get too late into the show before I mention this because I just think it's huge. Is that uh, Jacksonville State was welcomed into Conference USA this past Saturday at Burgess No Stadium over there in comfortable, wonderful little Jacksonville, Alabama. And I'll be dogged if they didn't beat UTEP 17 to 14. Um, what a way to break out. And I think it's just proof further that Rich Rodriguez can coach and he's got a few players over there. And, and it's really not that strange. Uh, I've been around that program since I was in high school. And Jacksonville State is a very solid program. And Lars, <laughs> they're off to a good start when you beat a team like UTEP, all right, out of the gate. Yeah, and uh, UTEP, they're a good team. I mean, this is a, a team that likely will be in a bowl game, or at least they're a borderline bowl team. And uh, and what Rich Rod was able to do uh, in, in game one or game zero, whatever you want, I don't know, week zero, game one and week zero. Week zero. There we go. Um, so it, it, I think I'm correct in this. And I'm doing to you what I said I never will. And that's ask a question that I don't really know the answer to. I don't believe the Gamecocks are eligible for a bowl game this year or for the Conference USA Championships. I, but but you know what? I, I, think, I think suddenly, like Jacksonville State with Rich Rod... Like this is a team that can win six, seven games if you look at their if look at their schedule, and that will mean really terrific things moving forward. Um, and I'm glad I'm glad you brought this up because uh, I, I did want to get into kind of what what did we learn in week zero? Um, uh, there's uh, you know a handful of football games on this weekend. None of them were uh, all that compelling, but. Uh, Matt, I'll just uh, I, I'll start, and the the obvious one is Notre Dame. Um, that uh, you remember, this is a team that last year they lost ugly to Marshall, they lost ugly to Stanford, um, they did go on to win nine games, but man, they just went out there in Dublin, Ireland, and stomped Navy. They stomped 
<laughs> Navy. Uh, the the uh, it was never in doubt uh, of who was going to win that game with the forty two to three victory, um, and Sam Hartman, wow, Whoa. he looked good. So I think he's we the got transfer. A really good idea as to why Tyler Buckner decided to transfer. Yeah, yeah, okay, yes, exactly. I mean, if you want to tie it back to Alabama, we Absolutely. now know exactly why. <laughs> Tyler Buckner is in Tuscaloosa. It's because Sam Hartman. Thought he would be. I thought he was. Yeah. In my yeah. You know what? Like this kid's special. Uh, he was 19 of 23, 251 yards, four touchdowns, with no interception, no interceptions, um, and uh, you know, a lot of people believe that Hartman had the potential to really transform the Notre Dame offense. One that, uh, you know, finally uh, joined this century, uh, not uh, applauding, you know, uh, run based with uh, with a quarterback who has a weak arm. Man, Sam Hartman was really, really good. You know know what, though, in that game, in that game, I got to say, and I I don't remember you and I, we, we spent some time together on Saturday. Um, I don't know if I remember brought this up or not, but late in the game, Navy had like a, it was like a fourth and six at the six yard line. They're down uh, at, at Notre Dame's six yard line. They're down 42 zilch. And they decide instead of going for the touchdown to kick a field goal. Yeah, uh, we did talk I, about this. Yes, we did talk about this. And I just, that just rubbed me the wrong way for some reason. It really did. It's just like, man, just just go for it. Go for it. Make a statement. Score a late touchdown. Rather than do... zero. Well, yeah. Well, okay. I mean, I, I, maybe you and I feel different about I it. I think but we do. Uh, I'm not... Uh, it's not that so big of an issue, but I, it just... Uh, I just, I just didn't like that. It feels like you're conceding in some way. Like you're down that much, you score as much as you possibly can. You so know, if they scored a touchdown. They should have gone for two as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I definitely see the way you think, and and I, I've leaned in that direction and not the other. But you know, as I told you Saturday, I said, well, you know, in ten years from now, people will look at that score and not remember the game. And say, hey, Gina, how are you? <laughs> All right, I've got an issue on my end. Right. Yeah. Um, another big, another takeaway was uh, USC. USC, uh, uh, obviously, they're they're playing a uh, an overmatched uh, team, uh, and uh, but Caleb Williams uh, just looked phenomenal. Um, they're obviously playing San Jose State. Uh, they win 56 to 28. And Caleb Williams, through the reigning Heisman Trophy winner, threw for 278 and four touchdowns. So, uh, Lars, I, in- I have a question for you on that yeah. game. Did it concern you? I think USC has been hyped up with all the conference realignment with Caleb Williams um, potentially winning back to back Heismans this year. But that defense let. San Diego State scored 28 points. I'm worried, like, if USC matches up against another offense, 
they might not actually be that good if it's just a shootout. I agree. I agree. And that is a uh, concerning uh, thing, especially who's their next opponent? Mm. Notre Dame. <laughs> right? That, uh, I, I, I believe. Game. Yeah. I mean, I, so Notre Dame, USC next week suddenly looks like a battle between two quarterbacks who could win the Heisman Trophy. Right? And uh, in this this game, it, 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 I'm correct in saying this is next week, right? Uh, I don't want to get ahead of myself. It may be in two weeks, but I think their next uh, their their the next time each of them play is uh, against each other. Um, but uh, yeah, but Caleb Williams looked good. But yeah, uh, the USC defense. I mean, and this has been the USC defense is does not look great. And this has been an issue with all of Lincoln Riley's teams. Remember when he was at Oklahoma? Oh, Every, they were, everything was, bad was at Oklahoma. Everything was a shootout. Everything was a shootout. Um, and USC is actually going um, to be playing Notre Dame October fourteenth. So a okay, I'm weeks. sorry, I, I totally got that wrong. That's that's my 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 bad. Thank you for uh, correcting me on that. But. Um, but yeah, I mean that obviously is going to be uh, one of the, uh, or that is the number one issue with USC is can their defense hold up? Um, and uh, you know their defense had some nice moments; they had a couple three and outs. But yeah, and in USC's uh, schedule, you're right; it, it looks very easy until they face the uh, the Irish on October. 14th um and then finally matt uh you know the biggest loser of the weekend was the team that i that i love i love ohio i love ohio and uh they had a chance to uh, grab control of the game early against san diego state they're up six to three uh late in the first half and then their backup quarterback, C.J. Harris, was intercepted. That set up the Aztecs for a 71-yard touchdown drive, and they take the halftime lead, and and uh, they end up winning 20 to 13. But again, Ohio, but Ohio's starter, who I talked about a lot last week, probably too much, uh, Curtis Rourke, the kid from uh, Canada, who is just so exciting. He had a leg injury uh, late in the first quarter after being sacked, and um, so that that just kind of derailed all hopes that Ohio had. So anyway, Ohio is not going to be crashing the college football playoff party. Okay, so uh, that didn't take long to uh, eliminate uh, that subject of conversation, Matt. Well, you're you're not going to be on the Bobcats weekly newsletter either. Once word gets back up there, you picked them. Um, you had me sold. You know, I don't want to put a dime on anything, but uh, you had. I just, hey, by the way, I just put a dime on Nebraska getting seven. Uh, load up on the Huskers. On they're playing Thursday at Minnesota. That line is going to drop. Get seven points while you can. Um, UAB opens this week too. We need to chat a little bit about that. Um. And uh, I bring up, I know you saw this, but uh, we'll talk some gymnastics for just a second because it just makes you go, wow, back in a minute on Big News Sports. 
the next Inside the Locker Room with Coach Wimp Sanderson and Barry Sanderson. Tune in tomorrow, Tuesday. We'll look at the Alabama depth chart that Coach Saban put out. Also, Kevin Skarbinski at 730. And Tom Hart will go around the SEC with us tomorrow at 815. Inside the Locker Room, weekdays 7 to 9 a.m. on Tide 100.9 and Tide100.9.com. 365, 24-7. You'll find road and utility crews, tow trucks, law enforcement, and first responders working along Alabama's roadway. We're making improvements and helping our communities stay connected. We're working hard to make sure you're safe on the road. Now we need your help to make sure we're safe, too. Alabama's Move Over Law requires you to move over a lane when you see flashing lights on the roadside. And if you can't safely move over, please slow Visit drivesafealabama.org. Brought to you by the Alabama Department of Transportation, Alabama Broadcasters Association, and this station. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. A mix of sun and clouds this afternoon, scattered showers, and strong storms around through tonight. The high today, 89. Tonight's low, 72. Or tomorrow, occasionally cloudy with a few passing showers or thunderstorms. The high, 87. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 93 degrees. In Tuscaloosa. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. This channel surfing last night, watching some NFL stuff, obviously some college football, and suddenly I flash over and there's Simone Biles. On the TV, getting about, I don't know, 15 feet up into the air um, on her floor exercise and coming down to perfect stick in the landing. She came back kind of out of nowhere, Lars, from what I saw. And because we hadn't heard a lot about her, maybe it's just because there haven't been a lot of flashy gymnastics events, but this was the national championship. Um, She won her eighth. That's just, that's hard to believe. But she is an amazing young lady, amazing athlete. And um, she kind of took some time off and she came back, but she did not literally miss a step. Pretty cool stuff. Yeah. um, I think it just uh, further solidifies her status as the the greatest gymnast in, uh, in the history of the world, frankly. Um, uh, as you said, she made history by winning her eighth national all-around title, uh, the most of any gymnast. Um, she did that out in San Jose, California. And I, I covered uh, Simone out in San Jose as a lead-up to uh, the 2016 Olympics in, um, in, in Rio. And uh, she's just... You watch her on the floor. Her floor exercise is just so incredible. And in her uh, personal coach said that her floor exercise in in, uh, San Jose yesterday was um, the best one she'd ever done. And I've said this to so many people, and I think I've said it on air, like Simone Biles is the one human being that I've been around that I swear can fly. She can come closer to flying than any other person on the planet. And, uh, and she, she is just, uh, she has just like this, the perfect body. Like she's just all muscle, all muscle. 
And the thing is, uh, she's 26. So she just became the oldest gymnast to win this U.S. Uh, gymnastics title. And, um, and she broke the record, by the way, of, uh, of a um, guy named Alfred uh, Yoakum, uh, who had seven all-around titles back in 1933. So now you, you look forward and um, in what can she do uh, in, the, in the next Olympics? Right. I mean, we know that uh, Simone took a break from the support uh, from uh, gymnastics and it was during the 2020 Olympics, which was moved to 2021 due to covid because she was struggling mentally and physically. And um, and that, uh, you know, she had trouble. uh, um, She like kind of lost her. Uh, uh, spatial awareness when she was so far up in the air. And it looks uh, certainly based on her performance this weekend in San Jose that those problems uh, both on the physical and mental side have been resolved. And Simone hasn't commented yet or confirmed that she's going to be competing in the 2024 Paris Olympics, but all signs point to her doing just that and at 27 um, she would be one of the oldest gymnasts competing but man I mean she would have a chance to you know (laughs) just add to her collection of gold medals and further cement her place uh, which I think she's already there Again, as, as, as not just the greatest female gymnast of all time, but the greatest gymnast of all time, American or non-American. You said it and said it perfectly, and that's exactly what I saw, a floor exercise where she, I don't know, when you could probably get some kind of measurement and see on the videotape exactly how much lift she did get. But it was spectacular, and, and uh, the state, the city of Tuscaloosa gymnastics, of course, is... Um, for for quite a while, been of great prominence in national championships. I think uh, Sarah won six, so it's it's a good note for us to talk about. Now, uh, one of those topics that uh, uh, I think gets a little I don't want to say stressful. It just gets long, and but it's back in because the ACC was meeting again this morning. But it looks as though Cal, Stanford, SMU. They say are in pencil as far as joining the ACC. Um, SMU, I get SMU. I think I think that's probably a really good move for them and not a bad move for the ACC. But I just still I'm like Greg Sankey. I can't get over the four time zones thing. It just doesn't make any sense for Cal and Stanford to be playing basketball at Duke. I mean, I just. Uh, it doesn't really matter what sport it is. I mean, it was called the Atlantic, and it was called the Pacific for a geographic geographic reason. Not anymore, but I would say the chances are much better than 50-50 of this happening and probably even happening this week, Lars. Yeah, I think it's going to happen likely tomorrow. Uh, I believe that is when uh, ACC officials are going to, or, or the league presidents and chancellors are going to um, actually uh, hold a vote. And you, if you remember, 
Um, the ACC schools had previously objected uh, to the addition of, um, of just Stanford and Cal. Uh, and it was uh, the, the four schools that said no were Clemson, Florida State, NC State, North Carolina. And the thing is, you just need one of those schools to change their vote. And then you would have uh, enough uh, to uh, add them to the ACC. And I think this is going to this is going to happen. And, and the thing is, SMU. They realized that um, they basically, uh, you know, are hitting the lottery here. And uh, so it's expected that they'll join the league with no broadcast media revenue for seven years. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> they're really they're they're taking it. Uh, they're taking a big hit there. And uh, Cal and Stanford are expected to additionally to initially join by just getting about 30% share of the TV revenue. And um, so that's expected to create a pool of revenue of about 50 to 60 million annually uh, for the remaining schools in the ACC. And, um, and also I think a big part of this is the fact that Florida State uh, was floating a, a trial balloon out there when I think it was their school president said that, hey, that they, they're looking to basically leave the ACC. And I think they were hoping to get a little bit of interest from the Big Ten and the SEC. That hasn't happened. And so Florida State, uh, I think they're, <laughs> they've now seen the light and the best way for them to uh, survive uh, going forward is to uh, make the ACC as formidable as 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 possible. And you know, we, we can discuss uh, for a long time the the, the virtues of, of Stanford and Cal. Um, obviously, doesn't fit the geographic footprint, but that doesn't matter anymore except maybe to the or maybe to the sec uh missouri doesn't make much sense to me still but nonetheless it, it doesn't matter like the, the big 10 is everywhere right you're, you're gonna have rutgers uh women's golf going out to los angeles to play ucla here in a couple <laughs> in, in next year so um geographic uh, footprint doesn't matter but yeah it, it looks like it's basically a done deal that uh, that Cal, Stanford, SMU are joining, uh, will be joining the ACC um, here, I think starting in 2024, if I'm correct. And uh, it, it is curious, it's like, what, why, why Matt, what, what does SMU bring you? Texas, is that is that it? Yeah, the markets, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I guess they're looking at market size, but you and I have discussed this. Uh, I think we have seen, for a variety of reasons, the, the markets in your school, university's area have become less significant. They are still significant, uh, particularly in your TV eyes. But you and I talked about it. I don't think Missouri – did the SEC gobble up St. Louis because of that move? No. no. I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think that's probably not nearly as big a deal as we talk about. 
But um, I actually but, think this is this is much better for SMU. My opinion, it's much better for the Mustangs than it is for the ACC. And I mean, from what I gather, that it, adding these three schools will actually help close the revenue gap that the ACC has with the SEC and the Big Ten. Like the Big Ten right now, it appears it's going to go grow roughly thirty million per year in television revenue. Thirty million per year, and uh, the only way to for the ACC to not just close the gap but just try to keep up is you got to add more schools. You got to add more television markets. You got to add, you know, uh, just. Uh, more resources, so to speak. And so, um, yeah, so all three schools would be expected to enter the ACC in all sports beginning 2024-2025 season. And this really means that the, the Pac-12 is is done. They're, it's it's over. It's over for the... I mean, we all knew that. There's only four schools left. But you do have Stanford and Cal... And, you know, uh, which not necessarily uh, extremely rich in in football tradition, but great academic institutions, institutions uh, on the sporting front that produce uh, specifically Stanford produces more Olympic athletes than any other school in the country. So maybe that would have given the Pac-12 something to hang on to. But no, it's it's done. And uh it will, I think, uh, you know, the obituaries have already been penned of the Pac-12 conference, but they haven't necessarily been published. Uh, but they will be published on Tuesday if those go, if those goes down as we expect. Maybe we go into this a little bit more on the other side as we break for halftime. But do you foresee the potential of them breaking off into regional divisions to help with travel costs? Because, man, uh, Miami traveling to Stanford, <laughs> that's a haul, folks. We'll be back <laughs> with more Big Noon Sports in a minute. By the way, uh, the one and only Tim Brando is up uh, in the second hour. If you're Reagan, owner of RR Cigars, the Cigar Mansion in downtown Tuscaloosa, located at 2703 6th Street across from the Home Two Suites. Come down to RR and see why we're the ultimate cigar and bourbon experience. With over 165 bourbons and five private barrels, our selection of bourbon is unmatched. We have the best cocktails around, and our cigar selection is legendary. Our lounge and service are world class. Come and experience the luxury of the mansion and see why it's a world renowned cigar and spirits destination. Weekday mornings at 6 a.m. The Martin Houston Show. Join us tomorrow as we bring on D.C. with D.C. Capstone Report. We'll get his thoughts on the players of the week, the top offensive, defensive, and special team players, as well as the breakout players and top newcomers for Alabama versus Middle Tennessee. Catch the Martin Houston Show from 6 to 7 weekday mornings on Tide 100.9. Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, 
Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. WTUG HD2 Noiseport and W265CG Tuscaloosa. A Town Square Media Station. One man to beat, you can forget about it. Touchdown, Alabama. Tide 100.9 and screaming on the Tide 100.9 app. More Big Noon Sports coming up. Tim Brando's coming up, too. Lars Anderson, Matt Coulter, Justin Jones, all on the line today. We appreciate you folks dialing us in. It is the Monday of the Middle Tennessee State football game, and that will be coming up Saturday late afternoon, early evening. I hadn't looked a long-range forecast, but I certainly hope the heat has been taken out just a little bit because even at that time of the night, the way it's been over the last couple of weeks is just... Um, for me, uh, it's dang near unbearable. I just, I don't get out in it. But enough about the weather, as Mark Twain once said. Everybody talks about it, but nobody does anything about it. Let's move on to what Nick Saban said literally an hour ago. Lars, uh, pick a quote or a topic or something that he mentioned uh, of great significance, if uh, that is possible this week, other than quarterbacks. We do quarterbacks. We've got to. We might have lost Lars there, Matt. Lost, we lost him. All we right. Well, him. we haven't gone to, we haven't gone to Justin. Uh, anything out of the ordinary that was revealed in his news conference an hour ago? I don't think there was anything out of the ordinary. Uh, it was a classic. I think Lars said this earlier in the first hour. It was like like a classic Nick Saban response. Um, he seemed a little, you know, angry with the media, but that's nothing new. He didn't want to tell us quarterbacks, but. I, th- I think it's just good that he, we, we didn't get all of our answers for our quarterbacks, but we did hear about the improvement, which is what we've been hearing all offseason. Th- I'm hoping he becomes a little more open with us at, um, after Saturday. Yeah, and uh, sorry, I missed what you said there a little bit, but uh, do you think Middle Tennessee can put just a little bit of a scare in Alabama for maybe like three or four minutes of the first quarter. <laughs> I, I think I the scare think is be more than that. Go ahead, Justin. Yeah, sorry. I think the scare is going to be if we uh, don't blow out Middle Tennessee and score at least around fifty-six points. Uh, say we only get into the mid twenties or the thirties, that would put some worry on me as we go to Texas. Uh, I'd, I'd be a little concerned. I mean, the one thing about Middle Tennessee, they force a bunch of turnovers. They force a bunch of turnovers. However, <laughs> this team can't run the ball to save its life. Uh, they won the Hawaii Bowl against San Diego State. And you know how many yards rushing they had, guys? Minus 66. No way. <laughs> and they won? And they won. I am, I'm throwing this out there right now. 
they Middle Tennessee State will not have more than 25 yards rushing on Saturday. They're just going to try to they're going to try to just throw it all around and uh and and hope that uh um they can attack the Alabama secondary, but hey, I think the Alabama secondary is uh you know Maybe the strength of the defense. I mean, you could argue as that as we've seen in all, the all, I mean, all all three levels, all three levels are going to be so good. And I'm hearing so uh, much praise for Dallas Turner, how he's just he's become kind of a different player than he was last year. Uh, maybe because he was so kind of in the shadow of Will Anderson. But that Dallas Turner is very capable of being a top five pick in the NFL draft. And we know that Kool-Aid is right up there as well. And um, there's so many talented freshmen, Caleb Downs. And uh, I think uh, it's going to be a struggle for Middle Tennessee to, uh, to move the ball. I mean, clearly on a talent level, they can't hang with Alabama. But... Takeaways, 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 takeaways. What if Alabama turns the ball over a bunch of times? You know, uh, the, and that's the one thing that Nick Saban uh, has been harping on with his quarterbacks. He, I think, the most uh, uh, the uh, the biggest virtue of a Nick Saban quarterback this season is taking care of the ball. You know, and and, and don't you can't necessarily be risk averse. Right. I mean, you have to take some chances uh, and, and to try to hit hit some balls over the top with your throws. But uh, I think the quarterback that just does the best job of managing the offense, taking care of the ball, making sure everybody is in the right place at the right time. Everybody's on the same page. Uh, you don't have uh, penalties as a result of the quarterback being confused. Uh, that's going to be your guy. And all signs point to Jalen Milrow, right? I, I, I think until proven otherwise, Jalen Milrow is the quarterback at Alabama. Uh, I, I tend to lean in that direction, I think, throughout this entire process. We've all agreed that he was the likely candidate to get the first snap, which I think not just the first snap. I think, what do you think he gets, uh, three series, maybe four? Of course, a lot of that depends on, uh, it's dictated by the game itself. I mean, if he's turning the ball over, then uh, you may see Simpson pretty good. Well, I think, well, yeah, I mean, this is something to keep an eye on. If, uh, If it's a blowout, as we all expect it will be, and Jalen Milrow plays the entire first half. That tells us what, and 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 then he also and then he plays the first series of the third quarter because you want if if you, if you're grooming a guy to be your starter against a very good Texas team the following week, you want him to uh, have to take that break at halftime, come back out. And you know, uh, go through get getting warmed up again, and then go through that first series in in the third quarter against Middle Tennessee State. So, I think if we see that, 
right? I, Matt, that's a really good point. If we see that Mill Road takes all the snaps in the in the, in the first half and then takes the first series of the third quarter, then he's going to be the guy. Yeah. Uh, in te- against Texas, uh, um, I agree. If now, if Milrow starts and then uh, Ty Simpson or Tyler Buckner or Lonergan <laughs> comes in in the second series, uh, I don't know. Uh, that means we have no idea. And, and maybe uh, there, uh, not maybe, there is an advantage for Nick Saban in Alabama to not let Texas, not to tip their hand to Texas because all the quarterbacks have very, or I should say Milrow has a very different skill set than the other three. And uh, who knows? I mean, we could be surprised and then Lonergan starts the game. <laughs> I think that would stun me. Um, Did you think, Jay, do it? okay, going back, uh, and, and this is a question for you, both of you guys. I'll start with you, Justin. Going back to Jalen Hurts' freshman year, I think he came out in the second series against what was in, in in Dallas and I was shocked. I had no idea that he'd be coming out and playing so early as a, as a as a freshman. Did you feel the same way, Justin, and and do you think that there's a possibility that Lonergan comes in early? I I think there definitely is a possibility. I know when I'm trying to remember back when Jalen Hurts came in, I didn't necessarily have uh my full devotion to following <laughs> Alabama football just yet, but I remember there. I kind of just remembered there not being a, a uh, standout quarterback, and that I had like no worries. I just knew Nick Saban was going to take think, care of it then. Mm-hmm. Um, so it didn't surprise me seeing a new quarterback. It Blake wouldn't surprise Barnett, me this game yeah. seeing a quarterback come. Yeah, out. Blake Barnett started that game, and then uh, Hertz came in. I think is the first or second or third series, and. I do remember him fumbling the first snap. It was a inauspicious beginning, but man, it ended well for him. Matt, what do you think? You think uh, we see Lonergan early on Saturday night? No, I think you see Lonergan if the game's 35 to 40 points out of reach. Um, it's a true, actual, true freshman. Um, you get him in there late just to get him used to the atmosphere. But, man, that's a lot to put on an 18-, 19-year-old kid to get in Bryant-Denny Stadium, and the game's still relatively close. I'm not sure you want to do that to him. And it's certainly not my call, and my trust is in those that make those decisions. But um, I think, if, if anything, you'd see him in the fourth quarter. And do you think Nick Saban and uh, Tommy Reese know right now exactly how long they're going to that they have a very clear plan of what they're going to do with the quarterback in this, not necessarily based on just based on what they want to do, not based on what, how big of a fight middle Tennessee puts up, but, but based on what Alabama wants to accomplish in this game leading up to Texas next week. I think that they probably have it, down to almost the series, but as I said earlier, I think you also have to consider what Middle Tennessee State does, and if they dictate certain situations and certain calls, I think that's a possibility. But, um, 
Later in the show, I'll give you my order and, and try and give you an accurate uh, number on what series and how far into the game. We'll see which one. But coming up now, we've got Tim Brando. Weekday mornings at 6 a.m., the Martin Houston Show. Join us tomorrow as we bring on D.C. with D.C. Capstone Report. We'll get his thoughts on the players of the week, the top offensive, defensive, and special team players, as well as the breakout players and top newcomers for Alabama versus Middle Tennessee. Catch the Martin Houston Show from 6 to 7 weekday mornings on Tide 100.9. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. A mix of sun and clouds this afternoon, scattered showers and strong storms around through tonight. The high today, 89, tonight's low, 72. Or tomorrow, occasionally cloudy with a few passing showers or thunderstorms. The high, 87. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 91 degrees in Tuscaloosa. From T-Town to the Plains. This is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Back on Big Noon Sports, presented by Haley Sansing, Union Home Mortgage. Justin Jones, Lars Anderson, Matt Coulter bringing the show on yet another steamy Monday afternoon, we are awaiting the arrival of one Tim Brando. He's a busy man, Lars. He spends a lot of time on airplanes, and when he's not there, he's in other cities. And and uh, when he gets back home, he tries to get out on the golf course. But um, Tim's can, real good about joining us, and he'll be up shortly. He just probably got a little something going on right now. Yeah, no, we could do a full two-hour show just on uh, Timmy B's travel tips. Like, I, I love talking to him about this as someone who has been on the road. I know you do, too, uh, for so long because uh, Timmy, uh, he, uh, he knows how to travel. He knows exactly uh, um, how to get from point A to point B as quick and as comfortably as anyone. And uh, I believe Timmy is up, Matt. Tim Brando joins us here on Big Noon Sports. Timmy, tell us how the trip was, San Diego weather and you know, really, to yeah. just uh, to ask you from a broadcast standpoint, do you still get pretty jacked up game one? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If you if you happen to watch or just uh, catch or maybe a snippet of it, I hope you, I hope that transcended quickly and easily to you because Spencer and I were both giddy. Yeah, I mean, uh, we wait as long as everybody else waits for college football to start, and. Uh, and I won't lie, I think a lot of times when there are fewer games on uh, and week zero, there are fewer games on, uh, you know that there's, you know, the the, the um, hardcore college football fans are going to be watching. And um, so you get excited about that, too. I, I feel that way about Friday night game, which uh, we have this week up in East Lansing. Uh, if that game between Central Michigan and Michigan State on Friday was on Saturday, uh, it would be lost in a glut of other Big Ten games as well as games all around the country. So, you know, rather than doing a Big Ten game between, say, for instance, Buffalo and Wisconsin, which I believe will be on uh, FS1 on Saturday, I'd rather be on Friday because there are fewer games on and, um, you know, the competition is weaker in terms of the level of, of uh, 
you know, teams that are going to be playing at that time of night on a, on a Friday. So I know a lot of people feel, oh, that's high school football night. Well, yeah, it is. And in certain places, they don't want to play uh, at, at some traditional schools. But, you know, for schools and, and whether it's the SEC or, or, the, or the Big Ten, any conference, really, uh, if you're in the middle of the pack and you're trying to uh, get some additional exposure, you'd rather play on a weeknight than on a Saturday because you're going to have more people around the country watching you. So uh, that's the way I feel whenever that kind of assignment comes my way. Now, you know, you certainly want, when you have a larger audience, a, a USC game, by example, uh, which we have the following week against Stanford, and then we have TCU in Houston on the 16th on Big Fox. So those those are games that uh, are going to attract a, a large audience what, no matter what time you play and no matter who who's on the uh, uh, opposite channel at the time. You know, a lot, most college fans, I think, uh, that love the game are going to have a zapper in their hands or maybe they're watching multiple games at one time. Now, fans of a team, but not of the game, are going to be devout and watch their team no matter what. There's, you know, As announcers, we can't do anything about that. We, we can only uh, do the best we can for, for the fans that care to watch our game. Tim, before we uh, sort of get into hardcore college football stuff, I, I'm always I'm so fascinated by your career and and just where you are now. Can you walk us through just what a weekend is like for you? Like what 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 was this weekend like? Uh, sort of in a TikTok fashion, and also do, are, do you still get? I mean, maybe you've never got jitters before a broadcast. I don't know. But do you, do you still get butterflies? Like, just uh, is there a little anxiety or is there, uh, no. are you well beyond that? No, never any anxiety, just anticipation. Okay. Just anticipation and excitement and uh, enthusiasm and energy. Never nerves. And I never experienced nerves even when I was young. Uh, I was thrown out in front of people when I was a six year old. And told to sing a song and play the drums and be a part of the performance of Hub Brando and the Dreamers. So uh, I grew up expecting the spotlight, wanting the spotlight, and enjoying the spotlight. Um, so, no, I, I, I don't have jitters. I do have enthusiasm and excitement. I think, if anything, I have to, I have to uh, tell myself uh, before I go on the air, take a deep breath and make sure that you begin an octave lower you know, your voice level started an, an octave lower because the energy and the enthusiasm, if you start too high, then then you, like a singer that starts out of key and, and can't get to the notes that he or she wants to get to. So I'm a, I'm a bit of an alto slash baritone voice, but if I get too excited, my voice will go higher. Uh, and uh, you want to start in a, in a low register so that when your voice does go higher, you're not screaming. You're just you're just excited. You're enthused, and your voice is at the uh, similar level to the crowd, um, as opposed to you know yelling at someone. I I, I watch broadcasters uh, that don't know the difference between broadcasting and yelling, and and uh, I don't want to. I don't ever want to be perceived as someone that's shouting into the television. Um, I do think that you raise your voice an octave or two when the fan base goes higher and higher. One of the great uh, uh, misconcepts I think that a lot of uh, fans have, and I get this a lot uh, from people on, on social media, especially Lars, well, you sounded so much 
was so much more excited when the home team scored the touchdown. And I'll say, well, that's because the crowd was excited. And so when the crowd is excited, your voice has to go up to be heard over the crowd. Uh, that's a natural thing. In fact, it's, it's the way you're brought up in our business. Uh, if if <laughs> Matt can remember this, if you were uh, doing an intro to a, a rock and roll record that had energy and enthusiasm to it, you raised your voice up to a, another level than you would if you were playing a, a rock ballad, okay, that was slower. Or in your day, Matt, my day, Matt, coming up, it would have been uh, Color My World, okay, from Chicago. But if you're playing uh, uh, Feeling Stronger Every Day by Chicago, your voice is going to be at a higher decibel level. Same thing with calling a football game. You know, your voice is an instrument. And uh, I, I still get excited, I think, when I'm calling uh, uh, the visiting team's touchdown. But uh, I'm never going to shout or yell. And so my voice will never be as high for the opposing team's touchdown as it will be for the home team's touchdown. Hey, let's uh, let's jump into our neck of the woods in the Southeastern Conference. And first of all, since you're down in the middle of it in the bayou, uh, give us a little take maybe, and I know you don't predict, just uh, maybe your expectations about what's going to happen with Louisiana State University. Well, I think LSU's the, the loss of the defensive end is, is, is important, okay? I mean, LSU, I think, will win the football game, and I – I think it's going to be a great game. I do think they've got uh, a memory from what happened a year ago when they really let that one get away and were thoroughly outplayed, by the way, by Florida State. But they let it get away with a lot of mistakes. It was Brian Kelly's first game as head coach, and a lot of people on that team, including Jalen Daniels, were very, very new to the program. Uh, But, you know, Perkins is a great defensive player, but that defensive end... Uh, whose name escapes me for the moment, but uh, a great one, uh, is, is out, suspended by the NCAA. This is yet another example of of the NCAA screwing with the game when they really have no jurisdiction. They're just, you know, being uh, – they're being a problem. You know, whenever they can be a problem for college football, they're being a problem. Uh, the whole Harbaugh thing to me is a joke, uh, by example. Um, but, but, uh, but I do think LSU's got enough artillery – uh, to beat Florida State, I think that um, the, the level of expectation in Baton Rouge is is to win the West and and to and to play for or maybe have a very good chance of playing for uh, a national championship, meaning getting to the playoff. So, uh, you know, that's a byproduct of what happens when you win ten games and you beat Alabama, you know, for the first time in eight years. Uh, well, actually, not for the first time in eight years, but for the first time since. Uh, 19. It had been eight years since um, LSU had beaten Alabama when they beat them in Tuscaloosa and went on to win the national title in 19. Um, so that's where I got the eight years from. But yeah, beating Bama was a barometer for them. And they, uh, now that they've done it, the expectation level rises exponentially. So it's, it's a very important game for them. And uh, I have them, as you know, in the college football playoffs. Uh, in the four position. So I had anticipated that they would beat Florida State, and that would cement them, I think, uh, from a standing standpoint, as being a legitimate top five team. 
All right, Tim, uh, we got to talk about Timmy B's top 10, and we had hoped to reveal it on this show, but uh, we couldn't make it you know happen. What? You know what? I screwed that up, didn't I? I did, <laughs> and I apologize. No, I that's okay. Apologize. That's I, okay. You know what um, happened, I think? I had not heard from you. I had not heard from you for a while. I don't know if you were on vacation or what, but um, uh, Jake Crane, uh, uh, with his series uh, that he has on uh, – on the Daily Wire, and asked me to do that, and I, I did it with him, and I, and I screwed you in the process. And I no, that's, no, no, Timmy, hey, no you give, you are so generous with your time uh, with us. It's uh, we can't thank you enough. But, <laughs> however, uh, to our listeners here in the great state of Alabama, you may have a little bit of explaining to do. I'll just I'll run through your top ten: uh, right. one, Michigan; two, Georgia. Three Oregon, four LSU, five Ohio State, six Alabama, seven Kansas State, eight Clemson, nine Penn State, ten Tulane. All right, so let's just start with uh, Michigan at the top. Okay, but, but did you have a, the list of the teams I have just out? Just out, yes. Uh, just out: uh, Notre Dame, Utah, TCU, Texas A and M. UTSA and Texas Tech. Okay, so you'll notice there's no no Tennessee, no Texas, right? So those are the noticeable teams that I left out. Why? Because I think, and no USC, by the way. There's no USC there either. And the defense that they uh, allowed the very few people that could get the Pac-12 network to see uh, last week against... um, against the San Jose State was the reason why. And they gave up a lot of yards in that game. Won the game with, with ease, but all because of their offense. Their defense is just not up to par. They're not going to win the Pac-12. Texas, I think, is the Texas A&M of this year. Last year, I said Texas A&M was the most overrated team in the country. Uh, this year, I think USC and Texas are tied for being overrated. Uh, now, uh, Texas and... Uh, uh, you know, has a lot of personnel. I mean, they've got a hell of a quarterback room, and they've got a, a lot of pieces, but I, I I still very much doubt their defense, just as I doubt USC's defense. So that's that's the reason why you don't see them anywhere around there, even in my just-out category. Remember now, my top ten is not like the APs or the coaches' bowl. It, uh, it, is, a, it is not a starting grid for brand names, Okay. Which, which is what the AP now has become. Whether they meant to become that or not, that's what they've morphed into. And uh, the coaches poll has always been a joke to me. Um, so they're mirror images of one another, and they act as a starting grid to provide the committee basically all they need to make the playoff the same damned invitational with the same damn teams invited almost every year. Now, that will end when we go to 12 teams. They'll actually have to do some work. The committee will actually have to do some work, regardless of where uh, the preseason polls have teams ranked. Uh, to specifically get to Alabama, which is, I'm sure, the, the, the meat of the question, Tim, cut to the chase. I don't think Alabama's quarterback will get the job done, period. End of story. Uh, if they knew who their quarterback was, uh, Nick would not be so sarcastic with his local media. Every time he sits down to talk with them or stands up with his Coca-Cola bottle to tell them what they don't know 
about his team after practice. Uh, well, our guys made some mistakes. They made the same mistakes. They made a few good plays. Well, we get the same jargon all the time. Um, Nick was, I think, very lackadaisical uh, in the uh, in the portal when he put um, you know a little effort into getting Drake May. When they didn't get him, he stopped and said, "We'll just go with what we got, whether it's Monroe or." So whoever the guy is, who, who the, the young guy I know is the one that everyone there projects. They'd like to see him. That's always the case, I think. But uh, Buckner, in my mind, uh, is going to be the guy. He may not start, but I bet you 10 to 1 that once the game, the season gets underway and you need a guy that you can trust with the offense that they're going to run, he's going to be the guy that gets the lion's share of snaps. That's my view. Uh, which means you're you're trying to go back to the past and win a national title the way you did in 09. All right? With downhill running game and a, a defense that uh, stopped everybody. Okay, good. You want to try to do that now. Uh, if, that's, if that's your comfort zone and that's what Nick wants to do, then I think he's uh, chasing uh, fool's gold here because... The teams you're going to play that are going to give you trouble are those that are going to use the breadth and the width and the depth of the field uh, to beat you both vertically and horizontally. Now, not many teams can do that to a team like Alabama, but the great ones can. And I believe that the great ones on the schedule are going to give Alabama trouble. When I say great ones, I mean with great personnel. Uh, and, and just because I picked LSU to make the college football playoff doesn't mean I'm predicting them to beat Alabama and Tuscaloosa. No, no, no. Not saying that at all. Uh, I'm saying the potential is there for them to not play in the SEC championship game, but still get a bid into the Final Four after the title game is played and Georgia thanks Alabama, which I think will happen if, in fact, those two teams do play. But I think it's more open-ended than people realize. Uh, I'd also think Alabama's going to lose a game that people don't anticipate. Uh, whether that game is Texas early, I don't think it will be because, as I said, I think Texas is overrated. Uh, but it could be Ole Miss. It could be A&M. Uh, Alabama's road or path to the SEC championship is far more difficult than Georgia. Far more difficult. And uh, I just don't think offensively they are good enough. Uh, to get through that schedule with uh, with any less than two losses. I think they will definitely have two losses, and that is provided they get to the SEC title game. Okay, I'm not sure they will, but if they do, uh, Georgia's going to beat them, and I don't think it'll be very close. Uh, never one to hold back. Tim Brando with his opinion. Can you hang around another few minutes after the break? Sure. All right, Tim Brando from Fox Sports on Big Noon Sports. Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. 
Call Haley on her cell. Yes, her cell. 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. This is the Big Noon Sports Network. And our guest is Tim Brando on Big Noon Sports. Hey Tim, just jumping back to your top ten. What's uh, yep. what's got you cranked up about Michigan? I love their schedule. It's as big of a, a non-conference joke as Georgia's. <laughs> I mean, they play absolutely nobody in their non-conference. And uh, you know, Harbaugh, by the way, does get to coach uh, those early weeks. Even though, every day, he'll be with his team. He just can't be there for the game. It's such a crock what the NCAA does, and I think I think when Michigan came back and said we're we're going to give him a three game suspension, that was kind of a touche, kind of kind of an affront uh, to to the NCAA's jurisdiction because they mandated four games. You might remember, um, but there's just no one there to beat them in their non conference at all. And then their non conference is, uh, I think, uh, they they play the right teams on the road uh, and the right teams at home. Uh, especially Ohio State at the end. They get them at Michigan. So uh, I think the Buckeyes, again, may be, as they were a year ago, the more talented team. But the Buckeyes don't have the culture right now, or the, and they certainly don't have the toughness uh, on the defensive side of the ball just yet. You know, their new defensive coordinator, Knowles, who came over from Oklahoma State, uh, runs a high-risk, high-reward defense. And those guys are just getting used to it. Uh, at Oklahoma State, he took uh, defensive backs and turned them into outside linebackers. Uh, Ohio State linebackers uh, are like the linebackers, basically, that Alabama had, you know, in, in 2009 and 10 and, and the early part of their uh, uh, run under Saban when they started winning national championships. But if you recall, uh, after Clemson uh, did what they did, and Ole Miss did what they did when Freeze was there. The Knicks teams, he, he realized his linebackers were too slow at, at outside linebacker. He had to bring in a different body type. Um, Ohio State's in that role right now. They're still trying to find the right kind of outside linebackers to cover teams that uh, challenge your, your perimeter. Uh, and and what happened a year ago was, was Knowles you know, gambled uh, a few times early. Uh, and if you recall, uh, and this is exactly what happened, I mean, McCarthy made the play against single coverage and made some big explosive plays uh, in the passing game. The quarterback answered the bell for Michigan, and Ohio State's defense did not have the toughness uh, to turn that game after after really Michigan had really dominated the line of scrimmage. After a couple of big plays, uh, Ohio State then got bowled over by Michigan's run game, and they've got a great offensive line returning with a great running game returning with multiple backs. Uh, so uh, that's why I like Michigan. Tim, several years ago, um, I went down to Auburn and, and spent a lot of time with Bo Nix and with his dad and wrote a 5,000-word piece on Bo, and I thought he was uh, – 
destined for greatness. It didn't work out at Auburn. Now he's at Oregon, and you have Oregon at number three, making the college mm-hmm. football playoff. And to me, that's sort of the most surprising uh, pick that you have here. Are, are you a big believer in, in Bo Nix, and, and, and why do you have Oregon uh, making the college football playoff at, as the as the third seed, at least in your preseason uh, picks? Well, I think a couple a couple of things on that. First off, you're absolutely right. Uh, he he went to Oregon with the right mindset, and uh, now Dillingham, his offensive coordinator that was with him at Auburn, now you know it's taken the head coaching job at Arizona State. Uh, but I think the residue of what Dillingham was doing will remain with Oregon's offense. And uh, Dan, I think Lanning is a great coach, uh, a young, I mean, aggressive. Uh, lost a couple of games last year, particularly the game at Washington because of uh, maybe being a little too aggressive. Um, went on a few fourth downs, especially one, uh, using analytics, and it, and it burned him. But those are mistakes of aggression, not 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 anything else. And you know, people were burying uh, Oregon last year after they got blasted by Georgia in the opener, and that was just, in my mind, very unfair. Uh, I saw Oregon twice last year, once on the road against the Washington State team that was really good and undefeated going into that game. And then again, uh, they absolutely buried uh, Cal, a team you're supposed to absolutely bury on the road, and they did that. Uh, Oregon's home field is still the best in the in the what's left of the Pac-12, and they will be a tremendous addition along with Washington into the Big Ten when they get there. Uh they play, uh, one of the reasons I put them in there is because I think they'll get a big credibility jump with the rest of the country when they play at Texas Tech uh, week two. That's a week from this Saturday on September the 9th. Uh, I'll advise the Alabama fans and maybe even some of the Auburn fans, you might want to DVR that game while Texas is playing Alabama. I actually thought that might be the game Spencer and I got on Big Fox. But they chose to put us on Stanford at USC uh, in a little later game. Starts at 9.30 on Fox. It'll be the late night game a week from Saturday. And the reason was because Texas is playing Alabama opposite Oregon and Texas Tech. Texas Tech is really good. They they could possibly get to the Big 12 title game this year. I mean, they're that good. Joey McGuire, uh, the great high school coaching legend uh, in Texas, uh, who was working with Aranda. Uh, and was actually brought into Baylor uh, by um, the, the coach that preceded him uh, that's now, of course, at Nebraska. He's a, he's a really done a hell of a job. I mean, has done a hell of a job. Matt Rule saw something in him and brought him in from high school. Um, but I think that that's a game Oregon can win. It'll be a tough road game for them. But if they win that game, and I'm counting on the fact that I believe they will, because I think they've just got too much ammo offensively, then what's going to wind up happening is they'll get a big bump in the polls, very big bump, and they'll move because people that know college football know that Texas Tech is not only really good, but a tough place to play early in the season. That'll be a significant win for them. Uh, And I think, uh, you know, the rest of the Pac-12 schedule is uh, uh, similar to what I said about Michigan. I think they get to play the right teams uh, in Eugene and the, the the right teams on the road, teams that I think they match up with better. So that's why I went with Oregon. Now, listen, Oregon 
will have to work hard to win that league. There's at least five teams out of the Pac-12 that could win it. I mean, really. Uh, it's a very balanced league, and every team's got a great quarterback. But Bo Nix has um, made the most of his transfer. I think he was smart to stay another year. And um, I think he'll challenge for the Heisman this year. I do. Well, the marketers certainly think so with what they've done in Dallas and Times Square. So, hey, just to give us a little bit of flavor from Tim Brando on our way out here, you mentioned Oregon (laughs) as a tough place, great home field advantage for the Ducks. Throw a couple more stadiums. You want to throw them in uh, Death Valley, that's fine. But a couple more stadiums and venues you've been to where the home team has a decided advantage. Well, there's no question that LSU's got the, the most advantageous home field when they play on Saturday night. It is noticeably different when they don't play at night and they play during the day. I can tell you that based on not only currency, but, but history. Okay, I'm, I'm sure Alabama would have far preferred that game with LSU had been a 3.30 game instead of a game played uh, later last year. There's a lot of truth to that. Um, Listen, you could say every place in the SEC is top five in terms of home fields, and you wouldn't be wrong. But what I like to say about home fields, a lot of times people don't know or don't understand how much of a decided advantage it is to be playing at home uh, if you're another team in another part of the world, another part, you know, a zip code or, or footprint other than your own. Eugene is without question one of those. It is the toughest place to play. Now, they, they only seat about 60,000, but they're right on top of you, and you feel it. And it's a beautiful setting, and it's just magnificent. Um, in the Big Ten, I think uh, Ann Arbor, the big house, is a much tougher place to play than Ohio State, by example. Uh, the old horseshoe of the banks of the Olin Tangy uh, looks great, but and it's got a lot of history to it. But their fans are like pro fans. They they're a little bit berries and cream. If if you don't show them early that you're going to dominate, uh, they can calm down a little bit, and that takes away some of their home field. I think Penn State uh, in Happy Valley is a tougher place to play on the road than even Ohio State would be. Buckeyes have done it with their, I mean, with their incredible uh, recruiting and and uh, their ability to get the best skill position players. Now, outside of those areas and and in places, for instance, like the Big 12, Kansas State is just hard, fellas. I mean, it's really hard to go into Manhattan, Kansas and get out of there with a win. Uh, If you've never been to uh, Snyder Family Stadium, trust me, they're they're not like family to the opposition. Uh, That's a really hard place uh, to go in and win a football game. Same at the Boone Pickens Stadium in Stillwater. Uh, I think in a lot of ways, that place, because the fans are right on top of you, is really hard. And around the rest of the country, uh, if you're looking at places in, in, for instance, the East Coast that you, you've never been to or you wouldn't think about going to, Mikey Stadium on the campus at West Point, uh, the Black Knights of the Hudson. Man, oh man, uh, is that a hard place to play. And the history and tradition when the long gray line comes out before every game is uh, off the charts. I'm thrilled that this week I'm doing a Friday game in East Lansing, Michigan, so I can get home in time to run down to 
uh, Monroe and see my alma mater uh, host uh, the Army. Uh, they get a return engagement. Terry Bowden will be coaching. The game, by the way, is going to be on the NFL Network. And uh, ULM, I think, has a chance to get get a big W. And Terry's got a chance to get uh, the Warhawks to a bowl game this year in his third year. And um, listen, having Army come to a place like uh, Malone Stadium and uh, in Monroe is a big, big deal. So I'm going to get back home in time from Detroit, from East Lansing in Detroit, to see uh, see Terry's team. I, I'm, I'm I'm happy they hired him as coach. I recommended him uh, to our leadership to be the coach, and now I finally get to see him coach the ball. Tim, really quick. Uh, okay, one, there's nothing like stepping onto the granite cliffs of West Point. It is I just, agree. it, it oh, is, it, it's the most like beautiful it. campus in, in the country, yeah. bar none. Two, just f- fast, uh, Clemson, do you think they yeah. have a chance to sneak into the playoffs? Well, yeah, they do because they'll win the ACC. I think they'll beat Florida State. Uh, and by the way, that's the other place that I should have mentioned. When they're touching Howard Brock and coming onto the field, oh my goodness! Yeah, I should have included them. That that Death Valley, uh, anytime is a hard place to play football. Yeah, I think Clemson's the team that can get there. Tim, as always, you deliver, and we appreciate it very much. Uh, safe travels this week, this weekend, and appreciate your time as always. And hopefully, we'll do it right around the corner again. Yeah. See you guys next week if you need them. All right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you, Thank Timmy. Bye bye. Sixth. <laughs> oh, wish we had more time. We could light the phones up and let people take off on Tim Brando because his thoughts about the upcoming college football season not favorable towards the Crimson Tide. Well, well hey, let's get in on this the other side. Is he wrong? I mean, it, can you see the logic in his argument for picking Alabama sixth? We'll talk about that in just a couple of minutes on Big Noon Sports. Looking for on the next Inside the Locker Room with Coach Wimp Sanderson and Barry Sanderson. Tune in tomorrow, Tuesday. We'll look at the Alabama depth chart that Coach Saban put out. Also, Kevin Skarbinski at 730. And Tom Hart will go around the SEC with us tomorrow at 8.15. Inside the Locker Room, weekdays 7 to 9 a.m. on Tide 100.9 and Tide100.9.com. Hey, this is Reagan, owner of R&R Cigars, the Cigar Mansion in downtown Tuscaloosa. Located at 2703 6th Street across from the Home Two Suites. Come down to r and and see why we're the ultimate cigar and bourbon experience. With over 165 bourbons and five private barrels, our selection of bourbon is unmatched. We have the best cocktails around and our cigar selection is legendary. Our lounge and service are world class. Come and experience the luxury of the mansion and see why it's a world-renowned cigar and spirits destination. 365 24-7. You'll find road and utility crews, tow trucks, law enforcement, and first responders working along Alabama's roadway. We're making improvements and helping our communities stay connected. We're working hard to make sure you're safe on the road. Now we need your help to make sure we're safe too. Alabama's move over law requires you to move over a lane when you see flashing lights on the roadside. And if you can't safely move over, please slow down. Visit drivesafealabama.org. Brought to you by the Alabama Department of Transportation, Alabama Broadcasters Association, and this station. 
Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. A mix of sun and clouds this afternoon, scattered showers and strong storms around through tonight. The high today, 89, tonight's low 72. Or tomorrow, occasionally cloudy with a few passing showers or thunderstorms. The high, 87. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 96 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Covering SEC sports like Kudzu on the roadside. This is Big Noon Sports. We have the interviews that you hear on Big Noon Sports are presented by Laura Lee Thompson, the Bama Broker Advantage Realty Group. All right, Lars, uh, for those of us just, uh, those of you just tuning in, uh, Tim Brando is top 10, uh, had Alabama sixth. And uh, he even said if when talking about going to the national to this SEC championship game, and he said that's not really going to matter because Florida will beat them. Um, you, you said that, I don't know, let's discuss. You first, go ahead. Okay, so his um, top six teams are Michigan, Georgia, Oregon, LSU, Ohio State, Alabama. Of those six teams, Michigan has a really solid returning quarterback. Oregon has a really solid returning quarterback. LSU has a really solid returning quarterback. Now, there, I guess there's a little bit of a question at Georgia, but we all think that Georgia is going to be just fine at the quarterback position. Ohio State, um, it's a little bit up in the air. But of the top six teams, you can make the argument that the biggest question mark of all the top six teams is at the most important position in the game, and that's a quarterback. So I, I, I can understand why uh, Tim actually has Alabama at six. And I, I, and I get it. Like, this is his preseason poll, but he's really – uh, trying to project where everything stands uh, heading into the college football playoffs. And, um, you know, I know it goes against uh, the coaches poll and, and, the, um, and, and the writers, but it's not, to me, it's not completely illogical to have Alabama at six, at least to start the season. And I know he's, he's projecting at the end. I don't know. I don't necessarily believe that that's where Alabama will be at the end, but at the beginning, just based on what we know uh, about this Alabama team, I, I don't, I don't have a huge problem with that. Do you? Uh, yeah, a little bit, I guess. Cause I really think Alabama's quarterback situation will play itself out and the offense is going to run the football and they will be much akin to what we saw back in 09. Uh, so um, I, w- I would say that and on that topic, and I know we mention it every once in a while, but I don't think quite enough. The guys that are in the quarterback room at the University of Alabama weren't two stars, you know? They came <laughs> yeah. out being, they were recruited by every elite program in the United States of America. Now, I find it, very difficult to believe that they've all of a sudden forgot how to throw, forgot how to lead, forgot how to check down. Um, I mean, if you're going to have a situation where you need to find a starting quarterback, wouldn't you rather have Alabama's room 
than practically any other in the nation as far as uh, guys that have just torn it up at the high school level and maybe have yet to mature to the highest at the college level. But I, th I think sometimes people think, man, they're just all bad. That's absolute nonsense. They're trying to take a bunch of really good quarterbacks and find the one that can lead them in 2023. And every once in a while, i got to throw the stop sign up and make sure that everybody still is aware of that. <laughs> you remember how widely recruited uh, Lonergan was just recently? And uh, Ty Simpson was a big catch for Alabama. So yeah, five star. We, got, we need to remember that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, and Nick Saban has such a uh, uh, high expectations for his quarterback because I still I believe as someone who's written two books on Nick Saban that he views himself as a quarterback. Like he's much more of an uh, of an offensive guy than than people think because of. Uh, the fact that, you know, he played quarterback for his dad. His dad basically was his offensive coordinator uh, going all the way back to when he was, uh, uh, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13 years old, played quarterback in high school, uh, was really, really good and uh, and just was really good at making the right decisions and reading defenses. Hey, shocky, shocker that uh, Nick Saban was a cerebral player right in in high school um but uh yeah i mean we'll see we'll see what happens um i do think i really do think nick saban likes this team i do yeah i think he started the week as he has many many in the past and his tremendous success at the university of alabama kind of dry a little bit on the anxious side uh you know maybe not in the worst mood not in the best mood either um, as we said almost two hours ago, I think that was very atypical Monday news conference material delivered by the one and only Nick Saban. All right, Lars, have a great afternoon. We'll do this again in 22 hours. If you're looking for a job in a